0: Welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles, the exclusive pro wrestling podcast for Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Hope you've enjoyed the wrestling and as well as the MMA over the last week. That's where we're going to kind of start off here on this podcast because last night was UFC 271 and it definitely delivered in a big way from top to bottom because I was able to, for once, actually pay attention to both the main card and a little bit of the prelims as well while I was out and about. I was actually making my way over to a sports book in town, or I shouldn't say in town because it's a little bit of ways away, about an hour drive from where we are in Carrick, Louisiana. So I was able to go to a sports book and actually watch a good bit of the UFC fight as well as Put in a little bit of money. Let's go ahead and put it that way. Throw down a couple shekels on some of the fights. I'll get to that more a little bit later. But I was watching some of the prelims. And the prelims were pretty doggone stacked. Especially when you look at everything that they put together over the course of the night. You obvi- uh, the, the two prelim fights I was able to catch were Casey O'Neill. She was taken on. It was absolutely a really solid fight i think casey O'Neill's is gonna be somebody you are going to be keeping an eye on of course she's nine and oh in her career but how is she gonna fare when she faces some stiffer competition because she's faced for the most part keyword for the most part a lot of tomato cans if you will she's faced a lot of people that have those 25 and 20 ish records you saw that a lot when you just look at her rec when you look at her what she's done over the last couple of years in the UFC. It's going to be interesting to see how she pans out again. 8-0, but has faced a largely hodgepodge of different things. Hasn't necessarily gotten the promotion up to the main card. She's in the flyweight flyweight division, but she's going to be somebody to keep an eye on, especially based off of her performance against Roxanne Modafferi who retired. Following the fight, one of the innovators of mixed martial arts in the women's ranks, she lost last night by decision, split decision at that, which got a lot of people thinking because honestly, that match, that fight definitely should have been a unanimous decision, was a split in the prelims. Definitely surprised there. And that kind of also speaks to what happened in the final fight in heavyweight matchup between andre Arlovski. i'm sur- i I'm, it amazes me every time i see andre Orlovsky in the octagon because number one i remember seeing him i believe in the first ufc fight ufc show i ever saw live on television and that was because ufc did a spike T- ufc pay-per-view aired live and free on spike tv and that's how i found about andre Arlovski. i became a huge fan of him going back then i believe it was i'm looking at it now i believe it was it was something crazy where they had the entire card broadcast live, not just on pay-per-view, but also on spike TV. It was one of those like rare things that happened. It had to go. It's going back to like 2006. How long it's been since they've done something like this. is like my senior year of high school. And I remember seeing Andre Arlovsky back then, and he's still doing this even now in 2022 and was able to come away with a really solid win by split decision. Again, a little controversial because of the judges that were scoring these fights, but it was nonetheless interesting to see how that panned out again. It's been a great return to form for him. because you look at his history in the UFC, it's been a bit of an up-and-down thing, especially going back to you know the last time that he lost a fight was in February 2021. In a undercard match, it was not the main event, but he's still been able to build himself up as a solid enough name in the heavyweight division. Not necessarily going to be a contender, but it's going to be interesting to see how all that pans out for him. Obviously, he's been dealing with, he's gotten suspended for drugs before and uh, tested a positive for PEDs and stuff like that. But he faced off against Jared Vandera. And he absolutely dominated that fight. He showed himself to be the Andre Arlovsky I remember seeing. The dude with the long hair. And he was putting on nothing but Banger, banger fights every single time. That kind of stuff. That's why I love watching UFC from time to time. It's those kind of things. He's been going at it since 1999. He'd been part of the UFC since the turn of the millennium. And this cat is still fighting in the UFC 22 years later. Yes, there was a time when he was in Bellator and a lot of other things, strike force, you name it. But honestly, since he's come back to the UFC in the last few years, he has been on another level. And I'm looking forward to see what he does. Does he have an opportunity to get to the most fights in UFC history? He's got the second most fights in the history of it. Now he's going to be, I think he's one fight away from tying an absolute legend in the business in Jim Miller. He's tied with Cowboy Cerrone, but who's to say Cowboy can get to 38 and it's a three-way tie. But I'm almost certain that he's going to get towards that top. He's got two more fights in him, especially the way the scorecards have worked for him as of late. It'll be interesting to see how it all turns out because again, his last three fights have gone the distance and five of his last six have gone the distance, and he's won all of those. The only one that was split decision was last night. He lost by submission back in 2021 to Thomas Spinall, but that's an anomaly in his record. It's going to be fun to see how he turns it around in the not-too-distant future. We jump to the main card. Bobby Green is going to be a bona fide star. He's already gotten a lot of hype. But I think what I saw last night, the way the crowd was into him, and not just the crowd there. I'm talking about the crowd that was at the Sportsbook. They were solidly behind Bobby Green to take care of business against, I, in all honesty, a guy I had never really heard of, Nasrat, and Nasrat just got absolutely pummeled. Bobby Green, he was laying haymakers the entire fight. By the end of the first round, Nazareth's face was looking busted open. He was getting just beaten down. And it was you it was one sided as hell. I was intrigued to see how Bobby Green fought. Never really saw him in the octagon. And he just was going at him. He's somebody again, keep an eye on him. It's a lot like what I was saying about Casey O'Neill a few minutes ago. She absolutely is going to be somebody to keep an eye on in the next like 18 months to get a UFC title shot. I feel like Bobby Green is somebody that could be getting an opportunity, I think, in the next, let's say, year in that lightweight division. He's somebody to keep an eye on. I know one of the other fights, Renato, he won by rear naked choke. I'm going to talk about that more later because I didn't see that fight. I was actually getting some dinner at a different restaurant at that time at the, at the casino. So I didn't get to see this fight. Didn't really have a whole lot of observations here about it. But overall, I was a little disappointed. I'll get to that more a little bit later. Then we get to Derek Brunson. Jerry Kennier, Derek Brunson. This was going to be a brawl if there ever was one. And it's a golden opportunity for either of these two guys. Because I think Derek Brunson, obviously, he's got the name establishment. A win here would probably get him into an eliminator matchup or maybe a title shot. Next up against Israel Adesanya or whoever's going to win out of that fight. We'll talk about that later. Obviously, Adesanya did win the main event, but we'll talk about that match, that fight a little bit later, which I think was obviously going to be one of the best fights of the night. But these two were going at it the entire time. He was just going I can't hear. I felt like he had the edge because he's a little bit younger and, and in fact, Derek Brunson is more on the tail end of his career in the UFC. A lot like what I was thinking about Andre Arlovski, but I think Arlovski has at least some time to build up. But this, can here He was absolutely whipping his ass and hit him with the elbows on the ground to get the win, knocked him unconscious. I mean, the, they pinched through in the towel literally just before the final blow was made. So that fight was clearly over. One of the best performance, it was one performance of the night for UFC 271, and justifiably so. This was damn good, a hidden gem if there ever was one in the UFC. Go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. UFC 271 had some really good fights from top to bottom, and I think this one, it ended in, I'd say, unconventional manner. It wasn't necessarily what I expected From these two, I thought maybe a third round knockout, but a second round knockout. As somebody who doesn't like to be up till 1 a.m. watching fights, I am more than okay with all these fights outside of the opener and them on the main card going, not going the distance. Mind you, we had the opener and the main event go the distance, so it kind of evened out in a sense, but having more of those two round knockouts, two round surprises, submissions, whatever you want to call it, that's always appreciated. When we get to the heavyweight co-main event, this is pretty much, I think, an opportunity for either of those guys to get back into contention for a UFC heavyweight title opportunity. Ty Tuivasa, one of the fastest rising stars in the heavyweight division and one of the most entertaining guys. Like He is not a UFC fighter by any means. He is an entertainer. If you put him in the WWE, I think he'd have a really good gig there. He just is a different cat, 28 years old, and he's been moving up those rankings pretty consistently. He's been on a heater. Yes. He's beaten some guys that are, that were very much before this fight, kind of tomato cans in some senses. Stefan Struve, Harry Hunsucker. He beat Greg Hardy, which again should automatically give him, you know, all the love. He's on his third straight performance of the night bonus with this fight, but he, he, beat Derrick Lewis, and he was a strong, and I mean strong underdog, like moments before that fight went live. How do I know? I put some money down on that. And again, I'll explain how the night went overall and why I was pissed off about one result in particular, at least when it comes to a sports betting perspective. But this was a really good fight. Derrick Lewis got KO'd with a standing elbow Bam, bam, knocks out the hometown hero in Houston. Feels like the second straight time they've been in Houston, and he's fought where he has lost in a big way. So it's a little bit disappointing for Derek Brunson, excuse me, not Derek Brunson, Derek Lewis. He moves further down the card. He's going to move forth way down the rankings. Tied to Ivasa, he's going to move up. And I feel like if he's not going to get the next title shot, I think he's going to get an opportunity in the next year. He's going to have an eliminator match by the end of the year, and I think he can win that because he has shown himself to not be a guy that's going to wind up going the distance. When he does go the distance, it doesn't necessarily turn out all that well. He is a KO power kind of guy. He's only gotten KO'd once in his career. He's lost by decision, and he's lost by submission. So if if he can keep a fight stand and bang, he is absolutely going to win the fight. And in the UFC, that's what matters. He's only won once by decision. That was to You guessed it, Andre Arlovsky. But beating Derek, the Black Beast Lewis, was absolutely massive. Now you wonder what's going to happen to Derek Lewis. He had a title shot for the interim UFC heavyweight title back in August of 21 in Houston against Cyril Khan. He bounced back nicely in a fight night main event. But I think he's going to move further down the card because he's lost two of his last three fights, and what's going to happen to him is probably going to be moving back towards the fight nights for a little bit until he can get more wins under his resume. That's just, again, just purely my opinion. Derek Lewis is still a draw, but it's going to be an uphill climb to truly get somebody over. That's that's just my thing. Then we get to the main event. He, this was so much Fun to see Israel Adesanya was taken to the limit. There were moments where it looked likely that Israel Adesanya was going to lose before the match went to decision, but he was able to hold on. You even saw Whitaker, Robert Whitaker get him in a takedown, but Adesanya immediately got out of it in the second round, a really solid fight here for the UFC middleweight championship. It wasn't a five-star classic by any means. It didn't win the fight of the night award, that one going to an early prelim fight between Douglas Silva de Andrade beating Sergei Morozov, and I'm, by the way, just trying not to butcher the names here, but that was a really good fight from all I've heard. I haven't seen the early prelims, but we're going to go watch those after this, but a solid card from top to bottom. Adesanya wins by unanimous decision, and it makes you wonder, because, again, it's a middleweight division. And you look at the history of the middleweight championship, you've got to think that Adesanya definitely is ranking towards the top of all time. And that's saying something, considering how strong that grouping has been over the years. Seriously. Here's the names that I think we can say off top are hands down the best middleweights of all time in the UFC. Anderson Silva. And Michael Bisping, GSP, those three guys. And GSP is more just one of the best fighters of all time. You had the count in there taking over for Joe Rogan, which is a whole different conversation. I'm not going to get into on this podcast, but GSP without a doubt is one of the best UFC fighters of all time. Didn't spend much time in the world of, you know, middleweight division. He, He vacated the title after he retired back in 2017, but GSP goes down as one of the best fighters of all time in the UFC, from my POV. So I think right now Adesanya is easily number three in the best like middleweights of all time. Michael the Count Bisping is up there, mind you. He, again, he's goes up there. I would not be able to do that. I'm gonna put together one week a top five UFC fighters of all time per my like point of view because we can go a lot of different ways here. But a UFC middleweight champion in Michael Bisping, he had a really good career overall. He had some great fights. GSP, hands down, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Israel Adesanya is starting to etch his name into that. This kind of rematch with Robert Whitaker. There's not going to be a trilogy here because you've already taken two out of three. There's no point in having it going forward. But it's going to be fun to see how that goes in the future, and how much fun it's going to be with the UFC like middleweight division. Seeing how things shake out, because again, there's somebody like Jared Kennier. He's going to be somebody that's going to have an opportunity for a title shot. There's probably some other guys that are going to be towards the top of the middleweight rankings, going to want to take on the style bender. But I wonder, is anybody going to be able to dethrone? Somebody like Adasanyu who has an insane, I, I mean, seriously, his reach is one of the most insane things, and one of the most unfair things about his fight game. I am blown away every single time I see him with his reach, just putting it down, and I, I'm blown away every time. And it's somebody that you're going to wind up seeing not too far down the road. Be a monster. He is a He's going to be the UFC middleweight champion for a long time. He's already got four defenses under his belt. Only one with more. has is going to be, without a doubt, Anderson the Spider-Silva in terms of the middleweight division, which has only been around for a little more than 20 years, but it's still one of the more entertaining divisions to watch because that's where you get to see some of the more pure technical fighters go at it, like a Silva, like a Weidman, even Luke Rockhold. The Count Bisbing GSP, all those guys, they absolutely can bang with the best of them. And Adesanya is one of those that's going to be next up on the list of big names. Now let's get to the betting perspective of things. So I decided to have a little fun over at a local casino. We put it up on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at Cajun Strong Pod and did a couple of bets. One of those was a $5 six-leg parlay. I was so pissed. So I did an entire main card only. I did a little research. I knew how some of the fights were going to go from my point of view because I I heard some of those names. I picked a couple dogs, and that helped my odds move up to where I could have had a payout of $190 and 21 cents if this parlay cashed out. And I would have been happy as a bleeping clam. So Bobby Green, that was minus 150. Easy money. Cashed out by decision. Perfect. Alexander Hernandez was plus 125 against Renato. And Renato won by submission the second round. So that killed my parlay. Everything else cashed out, though. Everything else would have worked. With the over four and a half rounds for Whitaker. Adesanya, total rounds over four and a half. Bing. Jared, Ken one. Minus 160. two Avasa was the biggest dog at plus 160. And this was around... I'm trying to pull it up now on my phone. And I believe this was like, I made this bet around like six o'clock on Saturday. So this is well before the main card even got started. So tied to Havasa was plus 160 at the time, which wouldn't have gotten you much if you put down a $5 bet, period. But it would have gotten you something. It would have been a little more than double your money. So, and Israel Asanya had him winning straight up as well put the money line down on him as well. in that six like parlay and came up just a little bit short. I was like, okay, I guess that's just the way that's the way that the music goes here. If you will, it's just mind blowing. And just before I leave, I decided to put a money down on a big game bet, a little $10 on something. I'll, I'll probably talk about that more on my show involving sports under the dome with C D on the game seven Lafayette and one Lake Charles. But it all came down to another bet that I threw down on the tie to Ivasa fight mere moments before the fight went live. So just before I left I made a bet on tie to Ivasa by knockout. This was plus 325 odds. Obviously Derek Lewis hometown guy he was very, very strong odds to win this. And I left the casino before the, before the main event got there. Cause I was like, okay, I'm kind of tired. I'm just going to go ahead and wrap it up, go home, drive, de- drive off and get back to the heart of Caden country. So I get home. I'm getting there, leaving, leaving there no more than 10, 15 minutes after I left. I see, I I'm checking Twitter like a madman. I'm like, okay, let me see what's going on. Let me see what the, what the card is and see what's happening. And next thing you know, I absolutely was like so happy to see this cash plus 325. Ladies and gentlemen, on a $10 bet paid out 42 50. So I made 32 50 off a $10 bet that I just threw down on, on a whim on tie to Ivasa by knockout, not $190 like my parlay would have gone, but, you know, it is what it is. It's still mind-blowing to me to see how quickly that thing turned around. I was like, okay, this was not what I expected. Not what I expected, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. A phenomenal UFC 271 card from top to bottom. All right, so let's go ahead and flip the conversation over. We've been talking a lot of MMA. I want to spend some time talking about AEW and what they did on Wednesday night Dynamite that blew me away and I think a lot of people because sometimes you have to go ahead and make big announcements, big, you know, grandiose things. And you do it one at a time. You notice how like when Brody King debuted, it was just about him and like for weeks we saw newer people popping in like Mercedes Martinez and the like. But when Brody King showed up, it was him being on his own in a way to where it's not just all about, you know, somebody else taking that spotlight. It's not often. And they did it a while back. They did it a while back with, you know, Brian Danielson and Adam Cole showing up in AEW during the main event of All Out. But they made it almost its own separate storyline when it came down to it, you know, and I was surprised to see how quickly, like that happened again, on Dynamite this Wednesday. So you've got Jay White during a backstage segment comes out and beats up Trent Beretta. He does it again on Rampage as well, which sets up a match next week: Jay White versus everybody's favorite Trent Beretta in the in a main event potential match on AEW Rampage on Friday. Obviously, they're going to tape it on Wednesday because Jay White's got to make his way to New Orleans on Saturday for the main event of No Surrender and subsequent TV tapings the next day for Impact Wrestling, which is apparently going to be really cool. So that's going to be happening. But that was a backstage segment. They After they cut away from that, they go back to the ring, and you've got Private Party coming out. And I'm like, they're going to make this big announcement now. And sometimes when they do these big announcements and they have these unsigned free agents pop up, when it happens, you are blown away the exact second, the exact moment it happens. You're either going to be super excited or super disappointed. And that's kind of what happened with AW and what they did on Dynamite. They were either going to be Completely happy or completely upset. Because I think a lot of people were expecting maybe Jeff Hardy, maybe so and so, maybe somebody else. I think if it was like Killer Cross or something of the like, and they were the one that was the mystery person, it would have gone over like a wet fart. If we're being completely honest with each other, it would have gone over like a wet fart. That said, this went over extremely well. AEW brought the heat in a lot of different ways. Overall, this was a great idea to just have these two show up back to back to get people invested, get people to be hyped. And Keith Lee proved something. I think a lot of people who had been following the Indies for a while over the last, let's say, four or five years already knew. WWE screwed him up so bad. Screwed him up so bad And they honestly, it blows you away how they screwed him up. Because this guy absolutely has it. He has that it factor. Now, mind you, AEW is a little bit different because a lot of the guys are smaller. So I think Keith Lee can be one of those guys who just throws those cats around. And it's highly entertaining to see what he did Against Isaiah Cassidy. The perfect first opponent for him. The second you saw him. Keith Lee just pick him up. And throw him like he was throwing. Like he was Uncle Phil. And Isaiah Cassidy was Jazz on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That was one of my favorite spots. Of the week bar none. The way he flew. And it's like he floated. For a split second. I was like okay. That's kind of cool. I want to see that happen again and again. Give me. I'm serious. Give me him in the ring more and more off. I just want to see this guy in the ring putting in work. He may not be the best on promos, but he can go in the ring. And at the end of the day, whenever you're AEW versus WWE, people care about more about the in-ring product, which is going to bring me to something else about diamond. We don't have a whole hell of a lot of notes about it because overall, It was a great show. But I think it was all, I was taken aback by the Texas Deathmatch for a lot of reasons. Number one, I don't think they understand what Texas Deathmatch rules actually are. Because Texas Deathmatch rules don't have it be a last man standing match. That's not how it works, folks. A Texas Deathmatch is simply... A last man standing, but you have to pin your opponent first before the 10 count is initiated. And also number two, it was a Texas death match, not in Texas. I understand that happens all the time. In fact, I went in New Orleans at Halloween Havoc 93 between Vader and Cactus Jack. Maybe one day I'll watch that and we'll talk about it on the podcast. But they do this a lot. And they did it. At AW Fighter Fest Night Two, and that one worked out. This was a last man standing match. They called it a Texas Death Match just to make it a selling point, but it was a last man standing match in all due respect. What we saw at Wrestle Kingdom with Moxley and Archer, and what we saw at Fighter Fest, that was more of a death match than anything. It was death matchy, but it was still a really fun match nonetheless. A really cool spot to end the match too, with the. Buckshot Lariat off the referee He did that against it was during the stadium stampede match against the inner circle. If I'm not mistaken, he did it with him and Kenny and that was cool. But I think it was even cooler with him doing that on the, on the finish into the table off the referee. Cause it was so well done the way he just dropped the barbed wire and then said, screw it. I'm using you as the vault to set up the Buckshot Lariat, which was really, really good. Overall, solid main events. Probably one of my favorite shows of the year so far. Not just in AEW, but WWE. It delivered in a big way. Then you get to WWE side of things. I only watched really one segment or one hour of WWE-related content this week. Didn't bother with NXT. I had SmackDown on mute. I only watched one segment of WWE television that I remember, and it was the RK Bro Quiz Bowl. This should have not worked in any way, shape, or form. This was a dumb idea by a bad creative to steal a word from Chris Jericho. This was one of my favorite segments of the year in WWE, no doubt about it, because they made it work. All the guys involved did their jobs. And made it work. I'll never understand how they made that work. I'll never understand it. Because it was mind-boggling to see how quickly that segment became a mess. It became a hot mess from the word go. But damn if I didn't love it. You had... Some great jokes with Riddle just basically being the stoner, Ray Yorton baking. Just such a fun segment. And again, WWE can be just a pain to watch, depressing as hell sometimes. But when they hit on something like this, it's all worth it. And they know how to do stupid crap. And the fact they have some two guys that are just highly entertaining, just being themselves in riddle and Orton. And then you have Gable who is really coming to his own as just being this over the top goober. It it works. A lot of this stuff works to be honest. And that's what you need. If you're WWE, it may not be the most revolutionary thing. It may not be the most edgy content, but is fun and that's what wrestling is supposed to be it's not supposed to be taken seriously it's supposed to be fun and i don't get why it's never as much fun these days again that's purely my point of view all right that that'll about do it for the cajun strong style podcast the game 1037 laugh yet and 104 lake charles the exclusive pro wrestling podcast of southwest louisiana sports station Hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll be back with you next week with another episode. And will we talk elimination chamber? Maybe, maybe not tune in and find out.